Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are moving Move in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about race and the American dream. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. CJ McCollum has been making basketball history throughout his hoops career. From setting a high school scoring record with 54 points during his junior year at Glen Oak High School in Ohio, leading Lehigh University to their first ever win in the NCAA Division I tournament after defeating Duke's Blue Devils in 2012. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, CJ McCollum recalls what it's like to be recruited, what life in the NBA is like, and what it's like to play with some of the best players in the league that he grew up watching. Hey, CJ, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? Good, good. Where are you right now? I'm home in Oregon. Okay, okay. Does that does that feel like the right thing to say still these days, or because I was born in Cleveland, and I know you, I know you're not quite Cleveland, Canton, but uh, but does that feel normal to say Oregon home? It's we, it's weird, like having been here for so long, right? Um, telling people that like I'm born and raised here, but I live here. I pay taxes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. My home, now, okay. my home away from home. Yeah, and where and where's all the family? Did the family spread out uh, as well, or is everybody still back in Ohio? They're they're kind of spread out. Uh, mom mom splits the year um, in Oregon and Ohio. Um, Dad is full time in Ohio. He'll come and visit. Grandma won't leave. She's full time in Canton. Um, I have some cousins that are still there, and then I got a lot of family that's that's left. My aunt is in, is in Virginia. She's uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I got some family in Cali, Tennessee, Alabama, like all those places. So you and Dane were kind of building an empire in Portland, huh? Yeah, man. I, I really enjoy my time here. I like it a lot. The, the, the fans are great to us. Uh, I got a dog. 
I got married, so I'm I'm here until until they don't want me anymore. I, you know what's funny? Uh, a couple years ago, Ladanian Tomlinson. I don't know if, if if you know LT, but he told me that he thought one of the two keys to making it in the NFL, maybe pro sports, was being married. That he thought the guys who were married were more successful. More focused. Has that been has that been true for you? I was having the best year of my career, um, and then I got hurt. So I, I think it's I think it's it's been pretty pretty accurate so far. You have more of a purpose, I guess, more focus. There's there's no there's not a lot of room for error, and you kind of just kind of know what you're going to get every day. When did you know that you were going to make it to the NBA? I mean, because uh, because you weren't highly recruited out of high school. Am I making that up? You weren't you weren't highly recruited out of high school. No, you're right. I was lightly recruited. Uh, I, I basically solicited, uh, reached, reached out to, to, to universities, reached out to head coaches. My brother was writing letters and sending film on my behalf uh, early on. But um, luckily, Lehigh University found me. The uh, associate head coach at the time was Matt Logie, and he was just kind of searching on like Scouting Ohio, searching some of the websites on my, um, on my hometown. And my first career start, I actually broke the school record and scored 54 points and hit eight threes. So he just sent me a letter, like randomly, like inquiring about me because I, I was like on the front of the website. And that was literally my first start. Nobody was recruiting me before that. And um, that's how they began to recruit me. I, I played AAU for uh, King James, LeBron James AAU team. And that's when I started playing in like big tournaments. I wasn't very tall. I was about 5'11". And... Lehigh, Bowling Green, a lot of mid-major schools started offering me, but it's funny because I actually lied. At one of the tournaments, they asked they asked me like what schools were recruiting me, who had offered me, and I mentioned like three schools that hadn't offered me yet. But I I said that like the University of Furman offered me, I said Boise State offered me, and Bowling Green or something like that. And then right after that, I got like seven offers from teams because they thought that I had offers from other Division One schools, and. Uh, it was a wild lie, but it was necessary, and it ended up helping me. But I played well, obviously, and um, luckily, luckily, found a university that that wanted me. Found a university that made sense for me, and gave me a chance to be the best version of myself. Wait, and are, are you saying though that you didn't start in high school until your senior year? I didn't start till my junior year. So my my freshman year, my brother was a senior. Um, he was a starting point guard. So I played junior varsity. And played a little bit of varsity, but not much. My sophomore year, remind you, I was 5'2 my freshman year, 108 pounds. And then I was 5'6, 115 pounds my sophomore year. So I came off the bench both of those years and I averaged six points a game my sophomore year. My junior year, I grew to 5'11. And that's when I became a starter, like a full time starter. And that's when um, I was probably playing like some, I was playing my, my best basketball as a kid at that point. Um, I felt taller. I felt, even though I look at the pictures and I look super small, compared to where I was at, I had grown. I matured a little bit. My game uh, evolved a little bit to where I was able to average. I went from six points per game to 25 points per game my junior season. And did you believe in your heart at that point? Like if I had met you, did you think you were going to play not just college basketball or the pros or that kind of thought process didn't come till later? Like when did you not just think, because I know anyone who takes it seriously will always hope. But when did you start to think, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a real pro prospect? I always kind of believed it uh, because of how I worked and what I was around. Um, Keith McLeod uh, was from Canton, Ohio. He ended up making it to the NBA. 
Eric Snow is from Canton, Ohio, made it to the NBA. Costa Kufis, um, my my high school teammate, ended up getting drafted to the NBA. So I kind of seen the blueprint of what needed to happen for you to get there. I just needed to get taller. So I, I'd say if you would have asked me my freshman year in high school, like I would have told you that I was going to the NBA, even though I wasn't necessarily sure. But my junior season, once I, I told my dad I was going to score 50 that night, and my career high was 18, so he was laughing. He thought it was a joke. And then I went and scored 54. And after that game, I thought to myself, like, if I can continue to get better, like the way I've improved thus far, I can go to the NBA. I just had I just had to figure out how to get a scholarship. And then I knew from there, once I committed to Lehigh, I told people all the time, they were like, why are you going there? It's such a small school. It's known for academics. No one's ever gone pro from there before. And I used to tell people, like, even my, my best friends will tell you from my hometown, I used to tell people I'm going to be the first person to go pro from Lehigh. That's why I'm coming here. Like it's, it's, it's meant to be, and it has to happen to somebody and I'm going to make sure that it happens to me. And that's why I told my teammates, my freshman year, they were laughing. They thought it was a joke. I told people, my coaches, they knew like my mentality was I'm here to get a degree from a prestigious university, but I'm also here to accomplish all my goals and aspirations in, in terms of solidifying myself as a basketball player and making it to the highest level. And so why did you make it, though? Because I'm endlessly fascinated by the fact that if you stood in line, there always were people who were taller than you, who maybe could jump higher than you, who maybe blah, 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 blah. And so what, what is the difference? Why does someone who's 6'3 make it to the NBA, not just make it to the NBA, but become an all-star and become one of the elite players? And why does someone else who might be taller, went to a more prestigious school, you know, also been playing their whole life. Why did they not make it? Is there something that the average viewer or average fan like me doesn't know? I think it's a, that's a great question. It's a combination of things. You know, first and foremost, um, God, I, I was fortunate enough to have faith to believe and, and to get help. I, I didn't just become a great basketball player on my own. I had help. I had the right influences around me. Um, my big brother played a huge, huge role. I, I followed him. I, I'm, I modeled my life after him from a work ethic standpoint. I mimicked everything he did to my mom and dad really being on me about the importance of academics, the importance of dedication and focus. And how, regardless of what you want to become, you have to work harder than everybody else. I think, you know, I could, I could, <laughs> if I got a dollar for every time she told me you, you need to work twice as hard as everybody else you know, in, in order to be successful, I would be extremely, extremely wealthy. But she kind of painted a picture on what we needed to do to be successful in life. We took that and took it to basketball. Like, okay, this is what we have to do to be successful in life. Uh, let's go work towards our sport, towards our craft. And I think it's just a, a combination of a lot of things falling in place. I got lucky, but I was also ready when my time came. I didn't just speak this into existence and did not go work for it. Like, I, I verbalized what I wanted to accomplish, and then I went and did it every day. And I went and did it more so, more consistent than everybody else. Like, I was up early, 6 a.m. If I had class at 8, I was at 6 a.m. I was working out. If if school ended at three, I was working out at three fifteen or three thirty. If practice didn't start till five, I was shooting at four and I was shooting at eight when practice was over. So I just worked and worked and worked and told myself that if I outwork everybody, it won't matter how tall I am, it won't matter how much athleticism I don't have. I said none of that stuff will matter because my skills will be so refined and so elite that they won't have a choice. And lastly I'll leave it just my brother and my dad it used to tell me, like, you have to separate yourself from everybody else. You have to be able to do something better than everybody else. I'm not 6'5". I wasn't 200 pounds. I, I, vertical was above average. 
So I was like, I need to be able to score better than everybody. Um, and that's what I like relied on scoring, being able to create a shot at every level, being able to dribble and not worry about like the guy in front of me being able to shoot. Like those are the things I really worked on. And I was elite at it at 5'11". So I used to tell myself if I could get to like 6'2", like 6'1", like I was always say if I can get to 6'1", I can get to the NBA. And then I got to 6'1". I was like, well, if I can get to 6'3", I was trying to be greedy. <laughs> and the game just got easier as I got taller. It got easier. Now, do you ever get intimidated at, at all? I mean, I know the, I know you're supposed to say no, but it, but in all reality, have you ever been intimidated at any point while you've been in the NBA? Oh, not No, because of how I grew up. Like where I come from, basketball is a leisure. It's a it's an escape from the reality. You know what I mean? Like I always tell people, why would I be afraid of something I pray for every day? Like I've always wanted this. I've always asked for it. God give me a chance. Like I've literally had a list of things I wanted to accomplish and things that I've asked for. So why would I be afraid of it when it's when it's presented to me? And that's kind of how I've always approached it. And the, the the things you worry about in the neighborhood it never consisted of basketball. It was just more so staying out of staying, staying out of trouble, not not turning left, making sure you go right, and getting home before the streetlights came on. Those were the things we worried about. We wanted to make sure our, our parents didn't have to provide for us. We wanted to make sure, you know, they didn't have to pay for our scholarships. Like those are the things we worried about. Basketball was just what I did for fun, and I knew I was going to be able to take care of my people from it. So I, I was never intimidated. Even early on in my career, so I was like 11 or 12 years old, and LeBron is obviously grew up 15 minutes from me in Akron. I remember going to a game. I think he had broke his wrist, so he was out. He was just kind of dribbling around, messing around. I, I wanted to play him in one-on-one, so I was like, play me in one-on-one. I'm like 11 <laughs> years old, right. super small, you know right. what I mean? Right. And that's how, like, my, my mentality is, like, I want to play against the best. I want to compete against the best, and – May the best man win. I tip my I tip my cap if I'm not good enough or if I'm not good enough that night, and I go home and and work harder and pretend nothing happened. Yeah, I love that. All right, so who who are the best right now? Like for your money, when you're talking to your older brother Eric, is that right? Is that his name? So just you and Eric talking, and he says, "All right, who's your starting five in the NBA? Who do you tell him? Who are the best five right now?" <sighs> That's a tough question. Uh, I mean, LeBron is the easy answer. So I, I think LeBron's arguably the best player to ever to ever walk on a basketball court. Um, so that's the easy answer um, right away. I would go LeBron, Kevin Durant, in no particular order. Um, you want all positions, or you just want players in general? I, I want you to put together your team. You're now you. You're not the general manager. You're the owner. Uh-uh. You're CJ McCollum the owner of the team, and, wow. and this is your money. Okay. We're reaching in your pocket. Unlimited Who's budget. on your team? Unlimited budget. I go... Uh, Unlimited. I go Brian, KD, Kawhi, besides myself, I would go Dame and Steph. Steph, now... If I had asked you a year ago or two years ago, would Steph still have gotten on that? Or did he re-enter the conversation this year? I think he was his greatness was already defined. Like he could retire. He could have retired last year. And like what he's done for the sport of basketball, what I've seen him do on the highest stage, it was enough. It's enough for his legacy. Back to back MVPs, back to back championships, unanimous. 
he revolutionized the game and he's a game changer. So I think it just, it makes sense. Um, and you could like, the, some of it is entertain interchangeable. Like Steph is elite, Dame's elite, Kyrie's elite. There's a lot of players you could put in that position, but I think, I think you can't go wrong. I mean, as long as you got LeBron and a couple other guys, it doesn't really matter. You got LeBron and KD, then you can, you can pick some guys off the street and uh, you got a chance to win a championship. <laughs> Wait, now, 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 you wouldn't say, if you were standing in front of Michael Jordan, you wouldn't say that LeBron was the greatest ever. You're saying that because he, he grew up 15 minutes from you and because he's a friend. But you, but you wouldn't really say that in front of Jordan, would you? I said arguably the greatest to ever play. I think it's hard to compare eras. Like, for, for what era Jordan was in, like, I'm a 90s baby, right? So I grew up watching, you know, because my dad loved the Bulls. My dad had the hearing, I had the hearing, all of that. So... I grew up watching Jordan, and he was must-see TV. He shut down airports. When he was on, like, everybody was watching. Um, his airness, like, he's, he's the guy when you talk about, like, setting the stage for where we're at now. You fast forward, LeBron has sustained greatness for 18 years and arguably has gotten better. And, and, and I would also argue he's the only player in the history of sport to have been crowned the chosen one as a teenager and have surpassed that hype, like, lived – beyond what you thought like you thought he was the one and then you watched him he was like wow he's better than the one you know what I mean like he's arguably the best to ever to lace him up and we knew this at 16 so I think his story how he was raised what he's gone through like from an educational standpoint what he's been able to build on and off the court for the communities I say I say until LeBron retires it's 1A 1B and then once he retires you'll have a full body of work to compare but I would I would give Jordan 1A because he's retired He's no longer playing. All right. You know what, CJ? I like you a lot. And because I like you a lot, I'm, I'm going to let that go. But, but I don't believe that. And, and you're being nice to LeBron because you've known him a whole long time. No, I'm, I'm being honest. I think from a pure dominant standpoint, um, Mike, Mike, six championships, no losses, two three-peats, retired, came back, still dominated offensively from a mindset standpoint, he was a killer. He could run the point and he had a streak where he averaged triple double over like 13 or 14 games. Uh, he really put his imprint on the game, revolutionized the shoe industry in general, like having his own shoe being fine. But I think from a total game standpoint, Le- LeBron is a different specimen. 6'8", 270, can run a team. Doesn't have the same mentality as Jordan, right? Brown Brown enjoys passing. Like he likes to kind of he plays more like magic than Mike. You know what I mean? Triple doubles is flashy. People love to play with him. Still a killer. But I think if if LeBron had Mike's mindset, LeBron would be the greatest player of all time and it wouldn't be questioned. Like if LeBron thought like I just want to score and kill, he would be better. But since Jordan thought like that and LeBron was thinking, I want to empower my teammates. I want the game to be fun for everybody. It's a different type of mentality, a different type of player, but they're both great. And I think that it's hard to compare because you could take Jordan and plop him into the NBA now and he would still be great. And you could take LeBron and put him back in, in 96 and he would be great. And that's what I think defines greatness. You can play in any era and you can hold your own or be considered the best. CJ, how, how true do you think it is? I hear people say sometimes that the best athletes could play professional in other sports. Do you think that's true? Like, do you think that there are guys in the NBA that you believe could play in the NFL and vice versa? Or is that just wishful thinking because it is so elite in each place that not that many people really can, you know, do the Deion Sanders or the Bo Jackson thing? 
but I think you have to be truly special to to, to play multiple sports. And, and Jordan, obviously, he did it. He played baseball. Jordan could have played football too. Probably could have did the high jump. <laughs> could have did a lot of those things. You look at Deion Sanders, elite hand-eye coordination, elite speed, um, great feel. Like he's another guy that could do it. Uh, Antonio Gates played basketball at Kent State. Ends up going. Uh, ends up going to the NFL and becoming one of the best tight ends ever. I think Travis Kelsey could have hooped. Like there's a lot of guys. Travis Kelsey is another guy from Ohio. Brian obviously was all state receiver, easily could play in the NFL. And then you see Steph Curry can golf, right. <laughs> probably can play baseball. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. those guys are elite, elite. And the guys that I know that are good in sports, typically Russell Westbrook could play hockey, football, <laughs> wrestling. He could probably get the UFC too if he wanted. <laughs> there's, there's only a few guys who can do a little bit of everything. So I think there is some truth to it. It's just weird, like, watching football players play basketball, they're usually so aggressive and everything is strong and it's two foot, it's two feet. They're usually, they usually don't translate as well to basketball. And then basketball players usually aren't as physical as football players. So depending on the skill position, we don't normally tra uh, translate. But the only caveat is that Tom Brady is arguably the, the best team sport player ever. And football is probably the, the sport that he's best suited for. I, I can't see Tom hooping. Oh, is that right? Okay, okay. I was, I was like, you know. I mean, he can't move, but I just don't feel like it would translate well. He probably could shoot. He probably got to jump. You know, it's a, a good friend of his told me that the thing I would notice if I saw him playing pickup basketball was that he would be aggressive and completely focused on winning at all times, and that that that's what would uh, that's what would stand out. Okay, but but you don't see him uh, you don't see him doing it. Um, uh, uh, fair enough. He'd be great spot up shooter. Great spot up shooter. Right, right. Okay, okay. That's that's kind of half compliment, a little bit. Um, uh, what would happen if you hadn't made it to the NBA? Like, like play that sliding doors game for me, CJ, for a second. Because as you said, you know, I know you prayed on it. I know you planned on it. I know at 11 you were going up against, you know, LeBron and in your mind thinking that this is where I should be. But but what would have happened if you hadn't made it to the NBA, do you think? Yeah, I I would have I would have still used basketball. So let's say I get a scholarship. I pick my university. Uh, let's say it's Lehigh or another school. I would have still took advantage of my degree. Like the the plan was always basketball is plan A, which is going to set up my plan B. So I was going to use basketball to get a degree, um, to network, to meet people, to kind of intern and figure out what I wanted to do for when I retire. But I would make the connections through basketball. Like that was always my mentality. So I would have done a lot of the same things, just not got drafted. And then I would have, I would have worked in the sports world. I majored in journalism. I minored in mass communication and sociology. So I definitely would have worked in the sports world with probably more of a business-centric focus. I have a family that have graduated with business degrees. Started off in the business school, so I kind of understand what I could have done in that realm and how I could have kind of combined them to, to help generate more capital because, you know, early on, what I learned is that you don't make a lot of money in journalism. You kind of got to start from the start from the bottom and kind of work your way up. So I would have been trying to, you know, figure out how to maneuver that as fast as possible while having my hands in other pots like real estate. A lot of stuff that I still do now, I would have done, in, except it would have been more so full time, full time instead of like a part time gig. And do you enjoy business? I do, I do, I do enjoy business. But at the time, 
econ, a lot of those classes, the, the course load at Lehigh was, was very rigorous. And I didn't have, I would have had to sleep in the library uh, to, to, <laughs> to graduate uh, honors and be good enough to make it to the NBA. Like I would have just never slept. So I, I had to figure out from a time management standpoint, how do I work at the level of an NBA player? How do I get my 10,000 hours in? But how efficient can I be writing it? I'm e it's easy for me to write a 30 page paper than it is for me to study for 12 chapters. So like that was my mindset. I enjoyed talking and writing and I was like, all right, this will be easier for me to do in balance basketball. Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join compelling conversations on race and the American dream, hosted by me, Carlos Watson. In these special episodes of The Carlos Watson Show, I'll be joined by key leaders and thinkers from across the country. We'll have pointed conversations to identify problems and arm you with solutions. If you're ready to make an impact, look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or on the audio version, look for The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to meet the moment. We'll hold a spot for you. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What would surprise people about life in the NBA? Like, I look at it from the outside. Other people look at it from the outside. Maybe what even surprised you? What two or three things would surprise people about life in the NBA? It can be boring. Uh, you, you imagine, you have this idea of what life is like as a professional athlete, right? You see the movies, you see everything, you hear about it. You read the stories about things that go well for people and things that don't go well. And then you're just thrown into it, right? There's no like, there's no manual on how to maneuver as a professional athlete. You just have to become one and then you figure it out. You have so much idle time, you have to figure out how to step away from your sport, whatever that is. You have to be able to step away from it, but it needs to be a healthy habit. So what I've tried to do is come up with healthy habits that aren't detrimental to my lifestyle, aren't detrimental to how I perform, but help like improve my overall health, well-being, or just makes me happy. So like hot yoga, (laughs) you know what I mean? Reading, podcasts, I'm doing radio, um, watching shows on Netflix, walking your dog, like figuring out things that you can do that are productive, that kind of takes up some of your time because you go practice and you go home. You might do some rehab, you might do a strength conditioning, but now there's no there's no other responsibilities. You're just focused solely on becoming the best athlete. So the the downtime was something I wasn't I wasn't aware of. Like you literally you fly to a city, you might practice, you might not at the rest of the day. In a normal in a normal world where, where the city's not locked down, you can land in the city at one o'clock and it's just see you tomorrow at, at nine. So in those moments, Kobe, may he rest in peace, is the difference that he would actually go to the gym right away and practice even longer than the other guys? Or w- was that not the difference? Because I feel like I've heard people say similar stuff. Steve Nash and others have said similar stuff to me that they found themselves bored a lot. And he said some people used to go to the mall, some people would play video games, and that they thought that Kobe, the difference was that when he got bored, he went and practiced more. Was that true? Yeah, I think the difference between Kobe and a lot of athletes in general is his mindset and his mentality. Uh, He never got bored with the process. Like he might have idle time and he would go do something sports related. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whether that's watching film or he would, I've heard stories of him working on the same move. He would shoot right shoulder fadeaway for two hours. Like that, you know how tedious that is to do the same thing over and over for two hours. Like he was, he was so focused, so intent on being successful. He would do whatever it takes. And in order to like still get along with his teammates and kind of prove to them like, Hey, I I take these shots. I do these things. You want to do that? You have to work like me. Let's say you landed in Miami. He would go out with you in Miami, but then he would say, all right, I did what you do. Now you got to do what I do. And we're going to go to the gym at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. coming off of being out all night. Like, this is why I'm great. I, I like that. I, that was cool. We got we had great times together. We got to bond. And I got to see, like, what you do in your spare time. Now you see what I do in my spare time. And he would make his players go to the gym. And that would be, like, their understanding of why I'm Kobe, why I take the shots I take, why I have the success that I have. Like, this is how you become great. And I think that's the mentality that I had, like, even in college was – I might go out with my, my teammates or whatever, but then I felt like someone was, was getting an event, gaining an advantage on me. So I might go to the gym at 1 a.m. And my now wife used to be like, yo, where, <laughs> where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the gym. 
And I don't. I think I, I, at one point, I don't think she used to believe me until she came and she's like, oh, he really goes to the gym at like 2 a.m. Like he's, he's crazy. Like he's really obsessed. And that's like how I always felt like I was gaining an advantage on uh, the people that were trying to become professionals just like myself. So, so what's it like with friendships, people you've known for a long time, when it's no longer just a dream, but you actually become a professional athlete, you become well-known, you become wealthy? What's the, Have you seen any change in the dynamic? I know everybody says nothing changes, but is that true? Does, does nothing change or does it change? And is there a way you navigate that changed reality? I think when you become the first one, it definitely changes some people around you. I think you change as well because you get accustomed to a new lifestyle. Like you go from not having money to having money, which is 360. <laughs> you go from $50 in your bank account to a lot to having access to going to places that you normally wouldn't go to. Food, like eating food that you wouldn't normally eat. Like you, you kind of, you evolve. I don't know if you necessarily become more bougie, but you become more aware of what's available to you more uh, aware of things you do like and dislike. So I think in that sense, I definitely, I changed in, I don't do a lot of the things that I used to do. I don't go to a lot of places that I used to go to. Um, I like to stick, stick to myself. I got the same group of friends that I've known since the third grade, since the playgrounds. And those are my friends. Like I don't really, I, I say stranger danger. Like I, I'm cool with my circle the way it is. Uh, I try to try to limit my, my, availability to certain people just because you overextend. So I think in that sense, I've changed in terms of family and friends. Uh, I think being in the league, this is my eighth year. I've been here so long. They've kind of gotten used to certain things. Obviously, um, they always preach on the importance of remembering where you come from. But to a certain extent, you go back and take care of who you can. Uh, but a certain extent, you have to remove yourself from certain situations because you're not who you once were. You know what I mean? You, you can't risk being in certain places. You can't risk certain exposure because bad things can happen. You're the, you're the face of whatever goes wrong in that, in that particular situation. So from that sense, my family understands that. My childhood friends understand that. Um, so I think I've been fortunate um, to where I have a lot of people around me who are for me, not for what I have to offer. So I think that makes a difference in, in my approach to, to how I maneuver around my, my family and friends. But for the most part, I haven't had any real issues. I think when you first when you first become you know, a part of the one or two percent, it shifts people's mentality. They think that at times like you're supposed to you're the chosen one, you're the savior. When things go wrong, they call you. I think my voicemail has been off for like three years now to where you can't leave messages. <laughs> so like stuff like that is why I stay disconnected. I have my red receipts on, but like if I don't want to respond, I just don't. I think that's how I get my message across in certain cases. But for the most part, I'm very reachable. Same number since, since the fourth grade. Like I'm a, I'm a low key dude. I am who I am. If I like you, you know, if I don't, then we, we know. Who, who is, who is the godfather in the NBA? Like when people struggle and have, challenges is there someone who people go to a lot and who gives advice uh is is there someone like that I don't just even mean basketball necessarily but life are there is there a godfather or two or three in the NBA these days I think it's team to team I don't necessarily know if there's just like one guy that everybody goes to I think most teams have vets uh when I came into the league I had vets on my team I had Mo Williams who's now retired he coaches at a HBCU I had Darrell Wright, who's now retired and works, uh, I think he works for Comcast um, Sports out in the Bay. Chris Kamen, who's now retired. He was, you know, older, older player on my team 
Earl Watson, who went on to become a head coach, was on my team. So I had a, a, a good amount of guys who were 30 plus, which is considered, I don't know, mature for the NBA standards because we've got 18 year olds now. And they were able to kind of give you guidance. They take you under their wing, they educate you, give you the do's and don'ts, um, make you go out with them, make you experience certain things that you wouldn't be able to experience, but they also take care of you and make sure you're good. So that's kind of how you like pass down a torch to the younger generation. And I think every team has historically has had older players. I know I've been fortunate to know people like Dwayne Wade. I can reach out to, um, to learn about things, to, to bounce questions off of his mental health. I know I, I can reach out to Kevin Love and say like, Hey, I'm looking for a therapist. Like you got one in these cities, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, so we're able to do those types of things depending on relationship and then depending on your team. I know the Miami Heat have you done Haslam, who's like considered the OG of OGs been in the league a long time, same city, you know, from from Florida, like he's been through a lot. He's a guy you can bounce things off of. And I think I've just used my resources around me, my teammates, and then being from Ohio, like knowing Brian, playing with Melo, like you got all of these guys who are Hall of Fame caliber and willing to help. So it just makes sense to reach out to them. What does happen when someone like Melo, who's kind of a legend, uh, uh, Hall of Famer in my mind, but now towards the end of their career, what happens when they come to a team like Portland with two young superstars like you guys? Like, do you guys defer to him? Do, like, how does that work? Because, you know, he was a guy who probably was in the All-Star game when you guys were still, you know, in elementary school and junior high school. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a balance. There's a level of respect that we all have for each other, first and foremost, uh, which is one of the reasons why he – joined our team like he knew what he knows what we've done our body of work but he also knows what type of people we are and there's an, a different type of accountability level you can have when you respect and trust someone so how i can talk to him maybe differently than some of my other teammates would talk to him how he can talk to me is probably different than how some of my teammates would talk to me and there's that that level of whatever's best for the team is best for the team whether that's us taking a lot of shots, us taking a little shots. If Melo has the hot hand, we're feeding him. When he comes into the game, like we're cognizant of him, his talents, what he can do and how he can help us. And we're trying to keep him going while also understanding that, like, look, we've been here. We know what it takes to win. And we know what it takes to, to play at a high level. We still have to be ourselves. And I think we've find, found that balance of being yourself, like dom, a dom, dominant guard, ball dominant guard. I like to have the ball in my hands. I like to score. Dame's a ball dominant guard. But there's times where you have to be selfless for the greater good of the team. And that might mean me just calling plays for Dame for a few minutes because he's hot. Or I might have hit three shots in a row. And I'm like, nah, you, you go. Or let's get Melo a touch. And that's kind of like the maturity that comes from being in the league for a long time. Putting your ego aside and understanding that we've all made a lot of money. We've all done a lot of things we want to accomplish. We want to win and we want to continue to compliment your legacy. Like he has a great legacy and we don't want to be the blimp <laughs> on the legacy. We want to make sure that it's what it's supposed to be. Do, do you ever look at it and say, as talented as we are, the way the league has worked and there's so many now trios or even four packs of talented players that we're just not set up to win a championship? Like in your heart of hearts, do you ever say to yourself, we don't have the same firepower that that LeBron and those guys currently have or that the New Jersey Nets have or that maybe the Clippers have. And so unless and until we add yet a, another third all-star, that's not going to happen. No, I, I think as a competitor, you're, you're real, realistic with expectations, individual expectations and then team expectations. And I think one of the things we've learned in sport is that if you work hard, you have a great culture, you do things the right way, 
and you stay healthy, anything is possible. And I think from a roster standpoint, there may be teams out there with, with a deeper roster or better roster per se, but they have to all be on the same page. They have to all be healthy at the same time. And they have to be playing good basketball at the same time. And I think all those things matter. You look at the Miami Heat last season. They didn't necessarily have the most talented team, right? But they had Jimmy Butler, who's a dog, who plays hard. They had a young group of guys who believed they could win. I think the, the, the moment you start to let doubt creep in is the moment you shouldn't show up. Like, if, if we felt like we couldn't compete and win against the best of the best, why are we here? You know what I mean? And I think that's how I feel. That's how Dane feels. That's how Melo feels. I think if our roster is healthy, we have just as good a chance as anybody to compete. I mean, you win or lose, whatever, but it's going to be a good game. We're going to put our best foot forward. I think that's how we've always approached and that's how we've always felt. And as a player, your job is to just go play and perform. You can't worry about the roster. You can't worry about what's out there. You can't worry about injuries. Um, You show up, you do your job, and you go home. And I think that's how I've always been, and that's how we've been as an organization. CJ, how much have you been thinking about the last year and Black Lives Matter and all that happened? Because I know in Portland, obviously, it's been a very active place in terms of protests and the like. Has it brought up any new thoughts for you? Did it just reinforce things you already knew and believed? Like, like what, have, what have you taken away from this last year? It's definitely brought about new thoughts. It's definitely made me kind of think back to my childhood, like, what did I really go through? You know what I mean? What was that life really like for me? How different was it compared to some of my white counterparts? You know, how am I treated now compared to when I first got into the league? How, how am I greeted by police officers now compared to when I was driving at 16 in, in Canton, Ohio? And it, it's kind of allowed me to think back to how fortunate I am, to, for one, to be in this position and to have made it through some of the things that we've gone through. And, and two, just to look at how many people are on board with trying to make change and bring about change. I think seeing some of the protests, seeing how it wasn't just blacks on the front lines marching. There was, there was people from different backgrounds, different walks of life saying that, hey, we see you. And although we're not directly affected by some of these things, we still want to speak up on your behalf to make this world a better place. And I think that's what really showed me that people do care. Because sometimes you feel like you feel it like no one cares. It does, if it doesn't affect them, they don't care. And there are a lot of people out there, white and other, who want to make a difference in society. And I think the, the, the second thing it's made me do is kind of have those conversations with my, grand, my grandmother, um, who's, you know, 80 plus years old, grew up in Alabama and Tennessee, picked cotton, you know, up until 12 years old. Like, tell me about your first your, your experiences, um, what it was like during slavery what you kind of felt and experienced uh, from stories you heard from your grandparents. How old were you the first time you seen someone hanging from a tree? Like those are conversations that I probably would have never had. And because of what we went through and what we were seeing, I was like, I need to really truly understand my history, my family's history and what they've gone through. And I want to understand like how, you know, people that are 80, 90, a hundred feel because they've seen everything. We've only seen a glimpse of what America truly is. That's so interesting that you say it. So what happens to someone like your grandmother, as best you know, when she sees her grandson, you know, ascend in the way that you have? I mean, no doubt she always loved you. But but what, what do you think happens, as best you know, when you're a grandparent, when you're in your 70s and 80s, and all of a sudden your grandson, your grandbaby, you know, is a star? Now, I, I know from her telling me that she's just extremely proud. Um I'm, I'm fortunate to have one grandparent left. My other grandparents are no longer here, but they rest in peace. But I just know how dedicated they were to supporting all of us. 
um, coming to all of the games, checking in on us. You take those calls for granted and then something happens and then you really truly understand the importance of them. So now I just try to make sure I'm reaching out and just checking on her. Um, my grandma has never asked me for anything in her life. Like that's the type of woman she is. She'll go do it on her own. She'll go figure things out on her own. And I've been trying to get her to move out of, out of Canton for so long, but she won't do it. But that's just a testament to how she was raised and her principles of, you know, I've been here my whole life. I want to continue to stay here. And uh, she has her friends. She has her life. She watches her games and she's fans of, she loves Doc Rivers. She's fans of a lot of people. Um, If she's not watching us, she's watching Curry. She loves the Warriors. And uh, that's who she is. She'll send me pound cake in the mail and, and check on me. And when she comes to visit, I make her eat healthy. But that's just the type of relationship we have. Wait, now, what do you mean eat healthy? Are you a massage kale kind of person? I'm fortunate. I think one of the best parts of being a professional athlete is being able to have a, a chef. So Chef does a great job. Chef Joy has been holding it down for us, um, cooking everything. I say that the definition of an elite chef is a person who can make things you don't like taste well. And she's mastered that. I've been eating a lot of different things that I wouldn't normally eat. And when my grandma comes to visit, I have her, you know, kind of go through the tutorial of things that she should eat that she doesn't, and we and we have them made. And Chef B, our old chef, may he rest in peace. He uh, helped her lose about fourteen pounds in like eight days of eating healthy, healthy versions of things that she didn't like. Obviously, we threw in some fried chicken and stuff on occasion, just to keep her happy. But we exposed her to a lot of different food that that we wouldn't eat growing up in the inner city. Uh, give me give me an example. What are some of the foods that uh, that now is part of your diet? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the I'll bring up the menu. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to find something good. Oh, I I I didn't eat avocado until like my junior or se- my senior season was like the, the first time I had guacamole was like my junior year in college. So like I never ate stuff like that ever. Um. Eggplant schnitzel salad, baby romaine, lemon aioli, zucchini ribbons. Wow. (laughs) Like, I would never eat half of that stuff. Uh, Eggplant, no way. Um, Heirloom beans, no chance. Um, Corn puree, no chance. Um, Find another good one. Crispy duck breast salad, apple radish, roasted sunchokes. Orange reduction uh, greens. Uh, you know, I love that. If I ever come to Portland, I'm going to try and you know, get in on that crispy duck thing. The duck, the duck thing, I would sign up for. I got you, man. We we it's it's made to order. So if you if there's something that you really want, we can we can get it done. I just I try to give Chef creative freedom to kind of do what she thinks is necessary based on like my diet. But there's healthy days, like super super healthy days, and then there's days where it's like I really really want some French fries. And, <laughs> and some mozzarella sticks or something like that because I'm normally no dairy and on a, like a strict strict diet. And now, are most of the guys like that, or, or are you a rare person? I think the league is shifting uh, as guys start to understand the importance of their body, as they start to understand how what you eat, how much you sleep, all that kind of affects your recovery. It, it affects whether or not you're more susceptible to injuries. I think more guys are starting to eat healthier. A lot of guys have chefs and they just have the chefs cook things they like, <laughs> which is it's cool too because it's you're paying for the service. But I think there's a, there's a handful of guys who are strict about what they put into their bodies and are on certain types of diets, are doing food sensitivity tests to kind of figure out, you know, what, what, uh, what's best for them, what doesn't 
what doesn't promote inflammation. And I think I've, I've eaten all you can eat in this league throughout. I've gone, you know, making meals myself to having my mom cook for me to eating out to fast food it up to now, you know, almost 30. It's like the clock turned on a few years ago for me to where I was like, all right, I'm just going to make this investment and eat healthier because you feel better and you play better and you sleep better overall quality of life shifts. So I would say 30, 40% of guys are probably doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, most of them are financially in better situations than some of the younger guys so that they're smarter, more aware. Some of the younger guys, they don't know better, so they don't do better. And then they don't also, they also don't have the means to kind of make some of those unnecessary uh, purchases or, or expenses come up right away. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. All right, I'm going to do a little rapid fire with you. You mind if I hit you on a whole variety of things? Yeah, it's fine. 
Your, your favorite book? Uh, I'll give you a couple. Love Does, Bob Goff. Um, Outliers, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. And The Obstacle is the Way, Ryan Holiday. That's nice. That's a nice trio. Um, uh, the, uh, the celebrity you met that got you most excited when you met them? Michael Jordan. Um, I met Michael a few times from a distance, but in person at All-Star, my third or fourth year in the league, I can't remember, but I was at his All-Star party in, I think it was in Toronto. I can't remember the city. It was his, all he throws a party every year and Mike knows how to party. And I go up to him to introduce myself and I'm like, hey, I'm CJ. He's like, I know who you are. And uh, yeah, that was me meeting Mike. Had a shot with him. And at that moment, like, I don't get, like, I don't get, go to that, like, wow mode. But at that moment, I looked, I looked at my, uh, my now wife and I was like, hey, Mike knew who I was. I used to stand in line for his shoes. You know what I mean? I was like, I used to stand in line for his shoes and he knows who I am. Like, and that, like, me being an NBA for like multiple years, like didn't matter. Like the fact that like arguably the best player ever, like knew who I was, was like, I was like, I got to call my dad and tell my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. Where's the coolest place you've ever been? Most interesting place you've ever had a chance to go to? I think Italy. I think Italy is just so special. Um, Different parts of Italy. The wine country is beautiful. Um, the food, pizza. I, I'd say I just like I like Europe. So Italy, Spain, those types of places are, are great. And the most beautiful, I would say, is is Greece. Santorini is phenomenal. When you said Italy, I thought you were going to say the Amalfi Coast. I think the Amalfi Coast. I didn't make it there yet. I was supposed to go, and then oh. COVID happened. Oh. I got a couple good ones for you. The Amalfi Coast, if you haven't been there, south of France. I'm putting it in my phone. Yep. Amalfi Coast is worth your time. The south of France, uh, Cannes, or some people pronounce it Cannes. And the most beautiful city in the world is Cape Town. Have you been to Cape Town? I forgot. I've been to, I've been to uh, Johannesburg. Okay. And, and that's, yeah, that might be the, that's Yeah. <laughs> Top, yeah. top three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't make it, but I heard it's, I heard it's sensational. You, you have to. Next time you go there, CJ, you also should head over to Zimbabwe right next door and go to Victoria Falls. Have you ever been to Victoria Falls? I haven't, but it's on our list. I'm going to take my whole family back to Africa. Yeah, yeah. That's worth it for sure. All right, what's your karaoke song? I, I should ask my wife. She'll, I think she'll say, hot in here. Um it's getting hot in here so hot. Usher? <laughs> Is that Usher or Nelly? That's Nelly. Nelly. Hot in here. That's what I used to yeah. say. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. That's good. That's good. What's the most, you're a newly married man, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about love? I think love is a choice. You fall in love, but you choose to love daily. So I think that's the Growing up, you see people get married and you don't really understand what it means. You don't understand what goes into it. But I think you choose to love and like care for someone and like look out for someone on a, on a day-to-day basis. I think that's that's what I'm learning. And when you're married, you're you're responsible for people's feelings. Like up, up to that point, you're kind of responsible for yourself. Now you're literally responsible for someone else's feelings as well. Uh, your favorite TV series? <sighs> Man, um... 
Breaking Bad. Uh, I love Power. Recently, Queen's Gambit was really good. Oh, you like Queen's Gambit. You did that. Do you play? Snowfall is top five. You know what? Snowfall, I was there at the beginning, but I didn't stay with it. But but you didn't put, The Wire might have been maybe before your time. Did you watch The Wire or no? I have seen The Wire. The Wire is good. Yeah. The Wire is good. Yeah. I mean, Fresh Prince, like I could go like, if you're going back, I could go like Martin, Fresh Prince. Those is, Martin is hilarious. You, 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 did you ever meet him or no? Has he come to one of your games? I'm, I'm trying. I don't know if I ever met Martin. I don't know if I ever met him. He probably been in some games in LA. He probably has. Who would you love to have dinner with? If you could have dinner with absolutely anybody, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Dinner. Does Jesus count? Um, does. Yep. Definitely Jesus. Um, if I could get like a table of a few, I would go Obama. Jay-Z, Obama, and Mike. I think that's a good that's a good group of people that I would like to to brainstorm with and just have discussions and storytelling and absorb um so many different things. And I think that combination of three gives it to you. You can get it layman's terms, you can get the <laughs> you can get the long-winded version, the short-winded version in a way in which you'll really understand and absorb it, which is important. Are you going to be a better girl dad or boy dad? I will be elite at both. I, I'm a I'm a dog dad right now, so and it's a girl, so I think I think I will be an incredible girl dad. I'll be a great boy dad too. But I think just something about having a girl. Like I've seen I've seen how I would like I I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna be in trouble. What, 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 what do you think is some of the best either advice or just lessons you've learned about good parenting? Because you're around lots of parents, right. I assume, with your teammates and your coaches and staff. Also, you got your own parents and your grandparents. What's, what's some of the best lessons you've learned about parenting? My brother has a six-month-old boy now, and he told me it's the, it's the most fun, challenging part of life. Um, the, the biggest thing is to try to provide them with the things that you, you lacked that you kind of missed out on. Like we all know what, what we would have liked to have that we didn't and then what we had that we enjoyed. So find that balance and provide that, but also uh, make sure you educate them on, on the importance of how to just be good people. I think that's the, that's the reoccurring theme that uh, most parents are saying, like you can't control what they become. You can't control what they do for a living. You can kind of control how they treat people, how they're known, and the impact that, that they leave on the world. So I think that's that's really important. And when you look at it like from a a larger perspective, it's like you're responsible for this boy or girl forever, but especially until they're 18. And how you raise them can kind of determine the impact on the, the actual world, which is crazy. It could be a great impact or it could be a not so great impact. All right. Uh, uh, take me forward 10 years from now. Where do you expect to be? 39, I'll probably be on, on the doorstep of retirement, if not retired, having played, I'll be 18 years in the league. Um, I, I'll have accomplished a lot on the court in the community. I'll probably have a nine-year-old, eight-year-old. Okay, okay. Maybe okay. both. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be transitioning or have not already fully transitioned into 
retirement. So um, continuing to keep my journalism initiatives alive, uh, CJ's Press Pass, um, continuing to work with the Boys and Girls Clubs and building dream centers um, for the underserved youth uh, with an emphasis on education, with an emphasis on coding. I'm sure coding will be next level in 10 years. Um, I'll probably have written a book. Definitely will will be a staple in the real estate game as well as franchising. And I'll probably have two more dogs. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be Forbes uh, top something under 40. I love that. I love that. What kind of a staycation guy are you? Do you do anything? You and your wife get away for little things in and around Portland? And if so, tell people who aren't from Portland what are kind of the interesting things someone could do if they uh, they were trying to get a day or two? So we've been locked down for over a year now, so it's been tougher for us to kind of move around here. But typically, like day trips, we love to, to visit different vineyards. Um, the Willamette Valley, the Chehalem Mountains has elite Pinot. Uh, I think uh, Pinot and uh, Chardonnay are, are what we're known for here. And being a wine guy, being a guy who enjoys his Pinot, uh, who actually – actually produce, produce his own wine. Uh, we have a lot of places we would recommend to go to get away. The scenery is beautiful. It's peaceful. It's secluded. Another healthy habit, uh, another healthy habit uh, that you can indulge in. And the food is really good. We got a lot of uh, great places to eat food at and a lot of bed and breakfast places. But with the situation we're in now, it's hard to do that stuff. I got to test three times a day, so I can't really go on any trips because I got to be back to test at five. So I'll have to wait until the, the season's over. But definitely want to check out Mount Hood. There's some places we want to check out mountains and do some stuff outdoors, let our dog do some hiking. And, and we also have like Cannon Beach and some other areas that are really, really nice to, to get away from. Wait, now, are you a fancy Airbnb guy or a simple Airbnb guy? I'm kind of bougie. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Okay. I'm accustomed, okay. I'm accustomed okay. to certain types of amenities and, and, and certain types of pillows and sheets. But – um, if it's a staple, like I'll do it. Like if it's you're known for this or you're known for that, or if the food is sensational, I'll do it. Or I'll just drive. I, I have no problem driving. I'll drive until I uh, I'm in a I'm in the place that I would like to be be in. But yeah, I, I would say I've one of the things I won't do is stay somewhere I'm 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 not comfortable in. That's a, a walk in and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. You have gotten picky. I work too hard, man. Some things I just I will go around the house and turn all the lights off and, and do all of that stuff. Like, why is the bathroom light on? But that's what that's with good reason. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Who's the best? As we finish up your last two questions, who is the best sports broadcaster for your money? Like, who is really good, and who do you and other guys in the NBA actually respect? <sighs> Man, that's you put me on the spot with that one. Now I gotta, now I gotta, I don't want to forget anybody. Regardless of sport, I think what is it? Al, is it Al Michaels? He's really good. I like Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is really, really good. He's got this staple: bang, hand down, man down. I like, <laughs> I like Mark Jones. I like Jay, Jay Billis. Uh, you know who's been very good? I love Doris Burke. Doris is easy. I'm really happy about Doris and, 
and what she'd been able to accomplish. Tony Romo is surprisingly very, very good. Um, I like Gruden, uh, even though he's coaching now. Kurt Herbstreit. I said Van Gundy. I like Chris Collinsworth a lot. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't say Barkley, and you didn't say Shaq. So, like, like if you're if you're talking, I'm talking about guys who are calling a game, right? So oh, interesting. Okay, who's will call okay. a game? Reggie Miller okay. is good. Like, he'll call a game. They sit in the studio. So they're more analysts. They talk about the game. They give their feedback, their input. The guys, I was talking about, like Tony is doing play by play, and. Chris Collinsworth, they're doing play-by-play. Van Gundy, they're going through. Mark Jackson, they're talking to you during the entire game. Like, these guys just come in and give their – like, I think they're very good at it. They're funny. They're entertaining. They have a unique perspective having played. But I, I think Ernie does a great job with them. I think he's the he's, – he keeps everybody in chat. He, like, when we get off topic here, I'll bring you back. Like, he's, he's elite. But I, I really like Candace Parker. has been doing a great job of transitioning uh, – NECA has done a great job. D-Wade is, is transitioning very well. I like those guys. Uh, from an information standpoint, Woj is, Woj is very good. <laughs> Woj is on. I always tell Woj, let me know, let me know when, I, when, I'm, when I'm on the trade block. Because I know you'll know. <laughs> yeah, so like those, I think everybody's, been, everybody's unique in their own way, which is really cool uh, to see. And I look forward to transitioning into that world um, when I'm 40. Hey, final question. The Duke game, you're a senior. Duke comes in highly rated NCAA tournament. You're at Lehigh, which is not known as an elite basketball program, and you pull an upset. You lead your team to an upset. If you guys had not beaten Duke, do you think you still would have been drafted and you still would have had a career in the NBA? Or do you think that Duke game was the thing, along with all the other work you did, that caused people to say, this guy can play in the NBA? That's a great question. I think that was the icing on the cake. I think the, the casual fan had no idea who I was, right? Uh, the scouts, they had been coming to games. They were kind of aware of me. This was my moment on the big stage to kind of show that I either belonged or show that I didn't belong. So I think if I play well and we lose, I'm still known, um, just not as highly known, but I'm still known because I would have played well. I was on a team that was inferior you talk about a talent difference a huge talent difference I got engineers I got friends that work on Wall Street for PwC and and uh all those different uh firms going against guys who are going to play in the NBA uh so that that was the the difference there but I think you know I I relished that opportunity I told my brother this is a chance for me to solidify who I am to the rest of the world. I know who I am. You know, my team knows, the, the Patriot League knows, but the rest of the world doesn't. So I, I put that pressure on myself to perform at a high level. I knew I knew that was my chance to to solidify, like, I'm an NBA player. I'm so good. I can make teams that aren't very good compete against the best. And I think it's it's. I was fortunate to play well for us to win – and that, that was my staple. That was my signature college win. And one of the things I said I would do when I went to college was I would win. I, I said I would win four championships. I only won two. Uh, but I said I would go to the tournament and get a signature win. Because when you do that, the Steph Curry effect, um, there's, there's a lot of other players historically who have gone to small schools and fared well in the league and haven't fared so well. So I just tried to follow their blueprint um, of – what success looks like. Eric Maynard was another guy who went to a small school, ended up beating Duke. JJ, not JJ Reddick, uh, what's the guy's name with the jumper? 
I went to a small school, uh, Jimmer for debt. So there's a list of guys who I tried to follow, George Hill, follow their, their blueprint of success, which is play well and then play well in the tournament. And I think my life turns out a little different, but I think I still make it because of the body of work. And I would have had more opportunities to show who I was the next, my senior season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I still remember that. I thought that was a, uh, I thought that was a big time uh, signature win. I did feel that's a good comparison with Steph Curry. That was a good, you know, uh, a moment in time and moment to shine. So uh, congratulations again. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. That's, I, I always say that's, the, that's the, the one people know me for. People hate Duke. I didn't like Duke. And it's crazy because if we would have won that next game against, against uh, Xavier, I told my mom, if we go to the Sweet 16, I'm going, to, I'm going pro. I'm not going back to school. And we were up 17 on Xavier and blew the lead and lost. I ended up getting in foul trouble and ended up losing. But it's funny because if we would have won that game, I was going pro. I told her before the tournament started. I said, I think we're going to go to the Sweet 16 and lose to Baylor. And I'll, I'll be good enough to get us out of the first round. And if I get us to the second, if I get us to the third round, I'm going pro. There's no reason for me to go back to school. Wow. So God works in mysterious ways because <laughs> I could have left. What, what do you think would have happened if you had gone pro a year earlier? It's funny. I, I kind of have an idea of what would have happened. My brother actually called me. My brother was already overseas at the time. And um, I don't remember where I was at. I think I was at a fraternity or a sorority. And my brother called me and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I'm just you know, having a good time, have a couple of drinks. I'm 21. You know what I mean? having a couple of beverages, he's relaxing. He's like, he's like, when's the last time you worked out? And I was like, been about a week. <laughs> you know, it's taking like a week, two weeks off. He said, enjoy your night. You need to be back in the gym tomorrow. I'm like, for what? He was like, I just got word that you, you can go pro if you want to. You'll get drafted in the first round. I'm like, what you mean? He's like, some teams asking about you. And if you declare for the draft, you would get drafted in the first round. And I was like, Get, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, he was like, I'm serious. Enjoy your night. Start working out tomorrow. You're declaring for the draft in two days. So I finished that night. I started working out the next day, and I declared for the draft. I announced my intention to enter the, the NBA draft, and I went through the process. And a couple teams said they would take me in the first round. One of them was Cleveland, and I didn't want to go home. So that was one of the reasons why I went back to school. I didn't want to, I didn't want to get drafted and play in my home city fresh out of college and I felt like it was too much too much too many distractions like I, I didn't feel like it would have been a it would have been a bad situation for me I wanted to get as far away as possible and I also wanted to graduate on time and uh, play in college again because I enjoyed it so I ended up going back to school I turned in my papers um, I withdrew from the draft and went back to school for my senior year well, all right, but keep flipping it though what would happen if you'd gotten injured I did get injured so I went back to school my junior, after my junior season. I played my senior season. I'm leading the country in scoring. I'm leading the country in three-point percentage. We're eight, we're eight and two or 10 and two. 20, we're like ranked 27th in the country, like receiving votes to be ranked top 25. We're playing on, on CBS against VCU. I break my foot. Season's over. My senior year. So, like, I did get hurt. So I went through that, and I was thinking, like, I should have just went to the, I should have went pro last year. I wouldn't have to deal with this. I'd have been rehabbing as a millionaire instead of rehabbing as a guy with $72 in his bank account. So I went through that. And that's when like, you talk about the doubt, the depression, the anxiety, 
Yeah. Uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, my senior year's over, woe is me, feeling sorry for yourself. Like I went through all of that and then still get drafted. So like the worst, <laughs> the worst things that, <laughs> that could have happened, happened. And then luckily I was able to rehab and get drafted by the Portland, Portland Trailblazers. Interesting. That worked out just in the right way. But life is funny, CJ. You know all the different ways that thing could have gone. Yeah. I mean, I, who knows? I think I would have been successful because I was mentally ready. So, like, I would have been ready as a, as a 20, 21-year-old junior going pro. That extra few months just, just basically got me more character. Like, I gained more character, more understanding, more appreciation because I got hurt and had to rehab in the snow <laughs> on a mountain. Like with a boot on, like that was a disaster in itself. But I think I would do the same thing over again because I enjoyed my experiences and it made me a better person. It made me, it it definitely made me a better person. So I'm thankful for it. And as I sit here with a boot on, on my left foot, the same foot that I've now fractured three times, uh, I'm in a great spot and I'll be walking in about a week. So I'm looking forward to it. Man, I hope uh, I hope you get healthy. Uh, uh, excited to see you guys play. Uh, appreciate what Dame does at uh, Dame time. But I'm looking forward to you doing that uh, uh, in the playoffs this year. I'm looking forward to you hitting the game winner. I got you, man. If, if, if I'm presented the opportunity, you have nothing to worry about. You have to. You have to. You have to. I'll be rooting for you from afar. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you uh, taking out some time on a Friday. No problem at all. I, I don't have a light, like I told you. It's, it's COVID, and, and I don't really leave the house besides to the, besides the watch the dog run because I can't walk it. So no problem. Thanks for having me. I, I look forward to checking this out when it, when it comes out. Please do. Please do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.